This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. Well, welcome everyone to another podcast here at Saving Brothers. And always I have fantastic guests. And today, Mick DeHaan. G'day, Mick. How's your day out of 10, brother? I'm going to say 10, Phil. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. But what we're going to unpack today, there were plenty of times in your journey where it was certainly not a 10 and probably at the very other end of the scale. And I thought a great place always to start is tell us about Mick DeHaan, your journey, and how you've actually come really to help and educate brothers across the world around financial success and well-being. And I've actually called today's podcast, It's All Played Above the Shoulders. It's all about <laughs> mindset. So I thought that was a nice little uh, name of our topic, Mick. So why don't you fire away and share with the brothers around the world your journey and your story? Yeah, no, I'm certainly happy to. So I've been in, I suppose, banking, financial planning. So I've been around money for over 35 years. So um show my age there a bit. Um, so what I was great at, is making money for people, yeah? So someone would come to me with superannuation and I'd make them more money. So that was great, but what I was internally going through myself was around sort of limiting beliefs and behaviours around money, which was running through my subconscious mind and I wasn't aware of it. So I was putting on a a front. I wasn't being my true self. So as much as I was able to, I knew everything about money, I I knew I was very intellectual, but emotionally I had some behaviours and beliefs that weren't serving me and were self-sabotaging and it created a bit of shame within myself and an embarrassment where I was this money guy. People came to me to invest and internally I had these sort of issues around money, beliefs and behaviours and it was very much around how I was brought up, so... Family of four children, mum and dad, um, were quite poor. So, um, my dad left us at an early age and so we really had scarcity and we had sort of self-worth issues in regard to growing up. Um, and I didn't realize what that actually meant at the time till, but I got to find out the true effect of that because that sort of became my programming. So well, would it be fair to say, Mick, that you were, you were able to help other people, but you couldn't help yourself and maybe you were feeling a bit of an imposter in as much as here's this veil that you are or this you are acting out a role. But when it actually came to your own self-worth and your personal belief system that you inherited from your family, and isn't it amazing how quite often money doesn't grow on trees and the language that we're taught as a child, we take that into our adulthood. Oh, exactly, exactly. And um, and that's that's what I took into. And I, I, as I said, wasn't really aware of it. And generally, we're males are brought up to be the provider. Oh, we're the hunter. We're the hunter. <laughs> and to care for the family. And um, but what I found myself, um, Phil, is I was getting to a certain point in life and I found myself self-sabotaging. And can you give us examples of that self-sabotaging, Mick? Yeah, I, I had a long career in the banking. I had a quite a successful career, I was on good money and then I sort of left that and tried to create something different for myself, tried to create a bit more impact. Um, but what I found was that I was getting into, into partnerships with people that didn't have the same values as I. 
and the alignment. The alignment piece, but also this is my story. I, I was actually creating this. I actually was looking externally to create with these what I thought were amazing people, and we're going to create this massive impact in the world. But they, in the truth, truth be known, they weren't. I knew that. I was told that. And I moved past that in regard to a number of things. One is putting our family home at risk. So we, we lost a lot of wealth through that time. Um, but what it did to me internally, I suppose, is the, the important thing. And that's what I want to share with your community. So I started sort of feeling that financial stress probably 25 years ago now, Phil, and I didn't really know what that meant. I got a first sign of it when I was in the surf and um, I suffered a panic attack. And I was out on the bank and I couldn't get back in and I, um, not listening to my body, I just thought, yeah, I'll, I'll get over it and I'll do that. And being a, being a man, I actually just swept it under the rug and just said that was just a uh, whatever. Never listened to my body. But because I didn't do that, I actually was – going down the pathway of feeling more financial stress. We weren't earning income for the family. I was drawing debt out of the home. I wasn't providing. I felt a lot of shame. And I went down that pathway of anxiety. And then I was diagnosed with uh, chronic depression. But then about three or four years after that, I was diagnosed with uh, aggressive prostate cancer. So what I really found was my body was failing me. When I wasn't listening to my body, my body was screaming out. But I wasn't listening to my body and I was just trying to push through. I was just trying to do my best, yeah. And it's it's a pretty common thing for a lot of men though, isn't it? Sorry to interrupt. Exactly right, exactly right. And probably the turning point was um, I was married for 22 years, two beautiful kids, and I lost that marriage. So... And I lost it because I lost myself, yeah? And I was disconnected with myself, who I am, who I stood for. I was in a pretty dark place. And I I made my wife, my wife that I married, I made her feel unsafe. Yeah, And I wasn't able to communicate what I was doing, why I was doing it. So we, we got divorced. So here I was out on the street in a sense, finding a, a, a unit, had prostate cancer, not knowing what the future sort of looks like, um, devastated by a loss of a long-term marriage and just trying to start a new life. And, and what does that mean? And it's it's scary. Absolutely. And it's scary because you can – I mean, I've had prostate cancer – I think there's a lot of similarities, I will say, Mick, in our journeys. I was also married for 22 years and was the provider and at 47, it was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I I certainly do relate and and ended up living in a a one-bedroom unit. Uh, And you do, you lose your sense of your identity, your self-worth. Yeah. And that's that's really, really hard. And did you find that there was a sense of, I mean, I know about you, but I felt a sense of failure, even though I've been trying to make the marriage work for many years, but I just got lost. I got, I lost, as you said, I love what you just said. You, you said you lost your sense of identity. Yes. Who was Mick Dahan? 
Exactly. And I, I probably, truth be known, I lost it many years ago. And, I, and I'll share maybe later around that sort of societal norms and conditioning that I just went down that pathway as to be the provider. Um, I'm, a, I'm an emotional guy, yeah. And I was sort of taught not to show emotions. I was taught to be someone else, and I'll, I'll go through that more. But I started losing my identity even when I was young. But that's now my reflection being older now. That's my reflection on being in a box where the societal says that this is what a man should be. That's how they should act. That's what they should do in life. And then you start losing yourself and then that sort of compounds. So there's two things that compounded. One is, as I said, my loss of sense of self. But also when I was in that stress, it sort of brought up other things in my life, which is how I was brought up. Um, feelings of self-worth and, as I said, what that created to people that I, I truly loved. So a sense of value is, is a, a good analogy, Phil. Yeah, and I think it's not an uncommon thing that we have these expectations from when we're teenagers and going to university or getting a trade and people say, well, you're this is where you should be going and then we're, we're really very influenced by what other people think of us. Yes. Yeah. Particularly when we're young. In particular as men, because as I said, um, it's really around our sort of status. So it's around, you know, the house, our career. So people are going to look at us and people will judge us. Or, you know, I would look at you 10 years ago, Phil, and say, well, what is Phil doing? You know, or is it this or is it that? Is it great? Whatever. But even your house, I drive past someone's house and, and look there going, oh, that's a bit of a rundown sort of shack or that's a mansion, they must be like really well off their car. So these are all the things that I've learned now, like I'm on the flip side of 50. So, but I've, I've learned now that what does that mean? It's actually unimportant. Uh, and that's certainly what I've learned because I had the beautiful big family home, had a beach house and they're lovely things, but that's how I identified my self worth. And I think we actually, it takes time to get to know yourself properly. And I'm sure what you've done and what you're going to be sharing with the brothers is that you've obviously gone on that journey of self-discovery and, and get to a point where you probably you start to like yourself again. You, yeah, and you can look in the mirror and you can go, you're okay, you're not broken. Yeah. Yeah, I've never broken, Phil. I just had sort of programs and sort of conditioning that didn't serve me. And when I had that awareness that, Yes, it was a part of the programming and um, so the subconscious side of my mind, but it wasn't me. And that was a big differentiation because I thought it was all me. And I thought I was this failure. I thought I was this guy there that was wearing the mask. And then when I could sort of separate it and go, well, they started to create this real awareness about what that is, you know, how I was brought up. What did I do to conform in regard to being, you know, accepted yep. by people and started to really think differently about it and then train myself self-care, show myself compassion and then really just having more clarity around what's the vision that I want in my life that brings me joy. And it didn't have to be the house, the car. And then how do I start living intentionally? How do I live every day just working towards those goals that will bring me abundance and joy? And that's, that's what's really changing my life. Well, that's what energizes me. That's what sort of 
traits of person that I am now that's impactful and it's creating change in the world. Absolutely. Do you think the breakdown of your first marriage, what was the impact for you, if I, if I may ask, around the relationship you had with your kids? I'm, I'm going to assume you've got adult children now. I do, I do. And the impact wasn't great and I didn't handle it well at all, to be honest. Yep. So, again, I, I talk about this. <coughs> excuse me, disconnection a lot and connection. So there's a real disconnect. I hid from it as well. Okay. Actually, um, I didn't share with the kids what I was going through. I didn't tell my truth. So I was painted out. I had left there. I had an apartment. It was two bedroom, not one. <laughs> but it was an apartment that looked trashy because it, it didn't mean anything to me. I, I was just in a dark place. Um, yep. But I, I struggled to connect with the kids and just say, well, look, because I felt like a failure. I felt like I let them down. Yeah, Did you I feel like guilty? I, I felt guilty. I, feel, I felt like I abandoned them. Yeah, I felt the same way. That's why I'm asking these questions because yeah. I think there's a lot of similarities. So you got to a point. What do you think were the triggers? You talk about self-love and with us at Saving Brothers, we've got our program, Keep Five Alive, and number one of the first of the five things meant to do is actually checking with yourself daily. How do you feel about yourself today out of 10? So you talked about self-care, self-love, absolutely parallels where we are on the same tram there, so to speak, the Saving Brothers. What do you think the trigger points were for change? So you get to a point, it's, we'll call it rock bottom. What do you think was it was that led you? And, I, and, and also part two of that question is I'm sure it was a very gradual turnaround. Yeah, and the, I think the triggers for me is that, um, and I'm, I'm going to be fairly vulnerable now, is that um, I wanted to be on this earth. Yeah. I'd um, lost a, uh, my twin sister to youth suicide at um, age 18 and she left this earth and I saw what that did to our family and I didn't want to do that to my family. So um, I, I was driven. I was in a dark place, but I was very driven about, staying on this earth. <laughs> that was the simplicity of it. Um, yep. And I, I met an amazing uh, woman that actually really just, uh, she's got a psychological background and she's been through a number of things in her own life. And we sat down and started having honest conversations because I've never opened up about all the things that I've gone through. I've never opened up about even my sister, um, how I was brought up and, the relationship breakdown, um, and slowly when I had the confidence to build that trust within myself and trust within relationships again, I actually shared with my daughter, I had a really disconnect with my daughter who I treasured. Um, and for two or three years we, we struggled in our relationship and that, that hurt me. That was, that was quite a sort of a sad point. But when I spoke my truth, to her and she understood because she was just told that I just moved on and, and whatever. When I spoke the truth and what I was going through and what she meant to me, which I found hard to do, there was such an acceptance because we always had the love. And when she, I took away that, because I thought I abandoned her and she thought I had abandoned her, and when we had the honest conversations, we'd worked out together that I was just lost. It wasn't an abandonment. Um, there's no malice in that at all. And we've reconnected and we're closer than we ever have been. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think there'd be so many men out there that 
will parallel your story and understand. And really the, the benefit we want to be able to deliver today out of sharing your story and thank you for your vulnerability. For me, vulnerability is strength. It's your truth. You're speaking your truth. But I know that you want to help so many men across the globe with the work that you do. So, Mick, let's just kind of kind of feel like this is your life, if you remember that program that we used to have. But but I want want to – I'm not bringing anybody out, by the way, behind the curtain, but what I'm keen to unpack is then how did you start to – get into this area of financial wellness because in Australia you are an accredited money coach and I really want to start to dive down that rabbit hole as to how you felt, okay, here's a guy that learning self-care, self-love, what was it that triggered, okay, I can really help others out there and in particular brothers? Yeah, and that's a really good question and because I went on my own journey, I walked that pathway. Actually, then you have the confidence to start talking to friends and about their relationship with money. And what, what I found in the research that I did is that financial stress is a leading cause of anxiety, depression and cancer, and one of the leading causes is the relationship breakdown, and I've done them all. I reckon so I could tick the boxes. <laughs> so then I really started to ask deeper questions to my friends even, just going, you know, has a relationship with money, I call it financial intimacy, but the relationship with money, because it's just such a stress in relationships and it holds people back from being their true selves. And they started to share their stories. They started to share their vulnerabilities. And then I, I'd worked out that I, I've got a gift that I can create that safe place for people to tell all their story, to tell their truths. Money's energy, but, uh, Money is just such an important part of people's lives and it's got so much emotion and baggage attached to it. So when I started doing that too, as I said, friends, and um, and then went out there and started coaching clients in regard to their money beliefs and behaviours and then starting to see the transformation, start to question the money stories, where do those beliefs and behaviours come from and seeing how they go out the other side, which is similar to me. They got the confidence, they got clarity, they got vision, they got intention there. It's, it's, yeah. I get paid for it. (laughs) They've got purpose rather than just making money, making money, making money, pay the bills. I think when you have intention, you're, you're on, on point with what you're doing. Why are you doing what you're doing rather than just to be a way to, to make money? Let's talk about societal norms and the conditioning and how it affects men around money. What what do you think are some of those? I know you have already touched on some of it. Yeah, and I have to have, and I'll talk, I suppose, more generally initially because it's it's really around, I suppose, our, our emotions because there's things there that, I suppose, stop us from being our true self, yeah, and that's really around our social conditioning. It's around how we're brought up. It's around how we suppress our feelings and beliefs, our emotions. And that internally can create illness and uh, mental health. So, um, so I really want to point out because this is some learnings from myself is again, it's all reflection around, you know, boys don't cry. Boys don't show emotions. You know, toughen up. Um, suck it up. You know, just keep going. Just, you know, just don't stop. Power through. Get over it. You know, just stop whinging. All, all that sort of stuff there. And I, what I found was that I 
I sort of looked at my younger life, and that's exactly how I was brought up. So you learn at a young age, Phil, to suppress your feelings and emotions. Very and that's part of conditioning and norms. And then I've seen that as a, as a major part of also how I have the illness and, and mental health issues in my life. And I wanted to share that because that's to have an awareness is empowerment. And to be able to then have a look at maybe how you're brought up and going, well, that's that's societal. That's you know, that's not me. I am sensitive. You know, I I, I love to have sort of a, a relationship that's close. I just didn't know how to sort of share that to be emotional. Yeah. So and, and then you're looking on the money side there, which is really around being the provider. Yeah. And generally speaking, again, generalisation is that men look after the money. So in the in the household. And it doesn't even mean that we're good at it. So, but one thing that I see is that we're not great at asking for help. So we're just trying to create that sort of financial well-being, financial security for our family. And we don't know, we haven't learned how to do that. It's just a job that society says that, you know, that that's generally the, the male's job. So off we go and we do our best. Well, we're not taught... I mean, to, to become the hunter, where, yes, you say, you're right, it's like there's an expectation. What I was actually, what went off in my mind whilst you were talking about that was deserving. So coming back to what you said earlier, self-care, self-love, do you think a lot of men have a real issue around, I don't deserve money, I don't deserve success, I'm going to have to struggle. Money is is difficult to, to get. I think... There's got to be issues around the relationship with money. And you know where that comes from? And it's a great point, Phil. That that comes from how you're brought up around money. And I, I reflect on my parents, and I don't judge my parents. Um, I, I think I did before. But I've released that because they did their best job. So this is not looking at them and judging them. They did their best as parenting and, and like their parents before them. Um, but if they were brought up in scarcity, yeah, because they were brought up around money issues there. And as they said to you, from 0 to 7 is, is when you don't have a conscious mind. So everything you hear, see or feel, that becomes a part of your program. So can you imagine if, if parents, as I said, were doing a tough day and just even said to you as a kid there that you always ask them for money. You're, you're such a greedy, greedy kid. Um now, money doesn't grow on trees. You just expect us to buy everything for you. You know, that's not what it's all about. They, all these things, and even when they say, I, I saw my mum and dad fight about money. So I'm looking at that going, money's not good. What, what am I saying great about money? It's, it's, they're fighting about it. And we saw scarcity. So, um, and then I, I'm dealing with a client at the moment that, um, he's had the beliefs drummed into him from a very poor background, um, is that money is evil. People with money are scrupulous. Or well, who they want to make that money? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then what I see him doing, he's under significant financial stress. It's affecting his relationships and his health. Whenever he receives money, even before he has an opportunity to do anything with it, he gives it all away. So he's won some great contracts. Um, he's in the building industry. He's, he's great at what he does. But whenever, as I said, money flows to him, he pushes it away. And it's only now when we're creating awareness that he's seeing those patterns and he's going, it doesn't even make sense. 
I don't even know why I'm doing that. I'm trying to build this sort of financial well-being. I'm trying to build a life there where I can make choices, start a business, do this, do that. But I'm I'm just locked in this cycle of stress, financial stress, and living paycheck to paycheck. That's that's my life. Show me a pathway. Amazing. How do we go about transforming? make those beliefs, behaviours to support men. You talk about helping them to create a life of joy and abundance, which which sounds wonderful. But okay. how, practically, how do you do that with what you're doing when you're working with men? Yeah, and I'm going to say it's easy but not simple. <laughs> I've said that analogy. And what I'm saying to you is that um, because we 95% or 97% of our lives are on the autopilot, run by our subconscious mind, so... We're here at the moment, 35, and we come to 40 and we go, what what just happened? Yeah. So to have an awareness, we've really got to actually just start asking questions, start to become really curious around when we're getting triggered, why we're getting triggered. So that might be fear, might be anger. But to actually have the stillness to actually, and we, we talk about sort of meditation, um, breath work to be able to achieve that, but we've, we've got to be quiet. We've got to be able to allow ourselves to, we're all external, all the majority of the time there, but the healing and, and the empowerment and the abundance and living your life of joy is only going to happen internally. But when you can actually say to yourself when, something's triggered, and then at that point go, where's that story come from? Is it real? And you start disempowering it piece by piece. And that, that's, where the, that's where the power is. So you, And then you start visioning. You start really looking at what do I want to create in my life? What does it really look like? Look at your future self with compassion and love and then going, well, this is what I want to create and this is how I want to show up every day and create that. So it is a lot of work around sort of those long-term living beliefs and behaviours and programming that you've got. But, boy, when you can have the awareness and you can start challenging that and create new habits, your life just opens up. It's it's amazing. Oh, I think we can see that just here in, in this discussion, how you light up because I can see that you're living the what you're actually teaching. Exactly, and that, I think that's important. The one to walk the path, but also come out the other side. And I, I, I won't, I, I wouldn't change a thing of my past because it is who I am, and it is who I am now, and it is who I am in the future. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for what I can give, the impact that I can create for people. Well, I mean, I, the way I see that, from what you just said, that in a way, would it be fair to say they are the gifts that your past and the lessons gave you? in order to be the person that Mick DeHaan always really needed to be, but you had to go on a journey in order of self-care, self-love, fulfilment, in order to then go on and share what the lessons taught you and how you can then break through and help men create that life of joy and abundance. Exactly right. That, that, that's what I said. That's, and it's always important to then take the emotion away from it because I've been through the emotion, but just really show that pathway in a clear clarity where people can say, I can see that. I can start visioning my own pathway 
And then you bring emotion into it in regard to the relationship, but really just holding the hand and just giving them that confidence that they can achieve whatever they want in life. Yep. When, when you're working, is it with a man or would you be working with a man with his partner as well? What do you, or, do, or do you do both? Uh, it's generally with the one person, so generally with the man, and um, because they haven't talked about this ever. Like in relationships, people don't talk about money. There's just such emotion around money um, and their money story, how they're brought up around money, um, their beliefs and behaviours around that, and it's even sort of the questions there. So it's quite a vulnerable space. So it's really creating that that environment where they can come into a safe space and just tell all their truths. And that they can find that hard. I mean, I, I'm a classic addict. I, I found it hard to be vulnerable. I'm, I'm so vulnerable now. <laughs> I, I share all my stories, um, and that's my learning. That's my confidence. But to really help people, you've got to allow that space individually for them to better tell all their truths, all their stories. Well, what you're doing is you're allowing them to step in. Exactly right. And giving them the, what you're doing is you're laying the ground, the pathway for them to be able to do it. And I'm quite similar, I will say. I like to be vulnerable, not about being a sook. They're very, very different. But what that's doing is giving people the the courage themselves to step into that and to know that it's okay. Exactly. Because I think when you're prepared to really go there, that's when you get your best growth. And you've got to hold that space for them. And I think you said, well, give them the courage, hold that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a question that's been on my mind. Why do you think it's important, Mick, for men to tap into their emotions? And what, and, and what is it that their emotions are telling them? And that's a really powerful question because when I spoke before about how we actually were brought up as boys to not show our emotions, to suppress our feelings, emotions and and that's what we've done well and I I remember when I came out of that sort of depression and whatever the only emotion that I could everything was um how are you feeling sad how are you feeling sad and that's the only emotion I knew I didn't, I didn't know any other words um so I was very much disconnected about the energy in my body about my, my feelings in my body but your emotions are telling you a story your emotions are energy flowing through your body and they're, your emotions there to really guide you if you're prepared to listen. And, and that's the first point of arm healing. So I go back to um, the point about my f- first time when I was in the surf and I actually had that panic attack. I was scared. I would fear, but I just let it go. I just said, oh, that's stupid. And I didn't tell anyone because I was embarrassed. But that was my emotion telling me is. That was my emotions telling me a story. That was my body calling out to saying, you need help, you need some self-care, and if you don't, it's just going to continue, and I, I let it continue. Can you share some, without betraying any truth or confidentiality, some examples of, perhaps a couple of examples, Mick, of men that have come to you with, you, you talked about the fellow uh, in the building industry and how he was self-sabotaging and money would come in, but then he would effectively push it away. Have you got a couple of examples of of stories where you've been having uh, clients that you've been able to really, really help them transition their relationship with money? Yeah, and I'll, I'll share one, and I think it's a really powerful one. Um, so I was working with a client and 
So very successful. Um, he was married for about 23 years, had three kids. Um, very successful in his work. Made a really good income. Um, so he provided well for his family. Beautiful home, that abode, beautiful cars. They travelled, they did everything. Um, he was working 70 hours a week. Yeah. What he actually started to resent was how he was losing connection with his family. Who he was, so he was in a he was in a job that he didn't really like, but it paid good money. So he, he just did it. He did it for what he thought was a family. So he put his family first in regard to providing, and then managing the sort of finances. So everything was fine there. But when we actually sat down, when the relationship broke down, when he came to me, he said, "What I realised was I was just an auto bank, and they were the sort of." The sadness that came out of him when he said that was overwhelming because that, that, what a realisation just to say the last 23 years as a man and as a father, my kids just wanted, my wife just wanted, I was just there to provide money. So he had lost sense of self, lost his confidence and now he's going back into the world going, who am I and I've just got to start this new life. And it's a disconnected with uh, two of his kids. One of his kids he wasn't, but um, two of his kids he had a major disconnection. So he really had to go back and sort of create that awareness um, and, and remember who he used to be when he was young. Now remember what lit him up. How long do you feel that that took him to, I mean, firstly, I think that the wonderful thing about that was he acknowledged what he was and that took, took courage to describe himself, as you said, for 23 years as an auto bank, the bank yeah. of dad. So yeah. how, what were some of the strategies you were able to engage with this fellow for him to start to make some changes in his habits and self-talk? It's really him going, connecting back to self. It's really creating that awareness of how that sort of went through the pathway that he sort of took um, and, and just having that sort of, Ownership at the same time going, what do I want my life to look like now? What, what you know, what, and it, there's half excitement, half, you know, it's like the sadness, the shame, the embarrassment then going, I am excited about creating something. I, I want to find myself. I want to know my true strengths. He even looked when he started to look at sort of his, his intentions there and what he wanted to create in life. He changed jobs to a more purposeful job. It still paid well, not as much as what he got before, but he, he had more enjoyment in going to work and it wasn't as if he had to do it as a burden. And then he actually, again, similar because I shared my story, he started to tell these truths to his children. And what was the impact? Because you said he was quite well connected with one of the children, but two of them, the, the, the relationship had certainly got a little rocky. Once he started really to speak Mickey's truth, what was the impact on his relationship with the other two? So the other two started to enjoy his company. They started to come over. One hadn't seen him for about a year. It was just uh, it was no connection at all. And he would come over to the house and shoot hide. And so when he was able to tell the truth and, and be vulnerable and just say, I'm not the perfect dad, never said I was the perfect dad, and then shared his story there, they'd go out for coffee. Then they go out for lunch and then 
she'd come over and spend some time at his uh, new apartment. And then they reconnected. They found themselves, because there's always true love. That they just got lost in regard to the relationship. And again, that abandonment, which is quite often that we see there that, you know, and it's again a generalization that quite often the male leaves the marital home. And in a sense, that by itself, when you're walking out that door with your suitcases and your clothes, there's that sense of abandonment before you even, um, drive out, drive out of the pathway, drive out of the, um, driveway, sorry. Certainly know that story, my friend. Yeah. What about other aspects of his life? Let's touch on his anxiety, his health. Yeah, well, they're, well, they're a lot better. He, he did have health issues. He had heart issues as well. So he hasn't had heart issues for that, I'm going to say the last 18 months. So he gets tested regular. Um, so he had a bypass of sorts. So, um, but it, it's all about the outlook. Yeah, it's all about. As I said, you know, internally, how are you feeling? Internally, he's got a lot of self-care. He, he, he doesn't get stressed. He's, he's, he's more looking at life going, whatever comes, it comes. Like there's not an expectation. There's not an expectation of what he has to do as a man. He's freed himself of expectations. And if he, if he meets another partner, that's fine. If he gets married again, fine. There's no, his, his journey is, is living in the moment. And it's, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, I think uh, a buddy of mine once said to me, wherever you are, be there. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, it's a, and I love that because I know, and I'm sure you'd relate to this and many brothers would, that you go on the family holiday and all you're thinking about is what work you've got to get done. And then you're not really in the moment. You're just not really relaxed. And then when you get back to work, all you want to think about is the holiday or get on a holiday. So... I, I, what I'm sensing is a real freedom, a liberation, and and uh, and an excitement for these people, these men, these brothers, yeah. that they're going to actually now really get to know themselves and be true to themselves, and look at that fellow in the mirror and say, "You go all right. You're a good fellow." And that's how I've learned. One of the things recently I've learned is that each morning I look in the mirror and I give myself a high five. Love it. And the energy level just goes up there, and it's it's exciting. It's a good way to start a day. It's so simple. Yeah, but you 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 talk about freedom and excitement and bringing that back, and that's that's what everyone deserves. We all deserve it, and I think sometimes that that the burden of the past really can be one heck of an anchor to carry through, not only your childhood, your teenage years but your adulthood and into your marriage and your relationship with your children. And I think the work that you do, Mick, is so darn important. And wouldn't it be great if we could have these sort of conversations when we're getting ready to go into the workforce that I think if we could help men so much earlier, because I think so many, in fact, I spoke to one of my sons, uh, he's 19, and he's an audiovisual technician. And I said, Ben... You are a really, really successful young man because you are doing what you love. And yeah. too many men go into careers and you'll have buddies around you that will graduate and do things, but it won't take them long before they don't like what they do. So they might be on good money, but they won't yeah. be happy in their heart. Yeah. 
It's funny that I, I use the analogy that people climb this ladder and then they work out 10 years later they're on the wrong ladder. Well, do, do you ever hear the Stephen Covey analogy where they're going crazy and they're chopping down the trees in this jungle and it's Stephen Covey who wrote The, the Seven Habits of Highly yeah. Effective People and he's busily chopping down the trees and then he gets up the ladder and he goes, wrong jungle. <laughs> but isn't it so true, though? Yeah. So, so the, and I think... Um, there's real, and I, I don't know, like, I think COVID's got a bit to do with it, but there's a real awakening of what our purpose is. Oh, Mick, oh, you are so right. And I've said that, look, as awful as a lot of the medical issues and the economic challenges that COVID has presented, let's not underestimate any of that. But it has given people the opportunity to stop and, and get off the treadmill of life yeah. and yeah. actually recalibrate and reset and go, is this actually what I, what I want? Yeah. Am I yeah. happy doing yeah. what I'm doing? Yeah. Now some may ask some questions because the powerful thing is having been curious and ask some questions. Quality. Got to ask quality questions. I remember Tony Robbins once said, "It's about the quality of your questions. You the questions you ask yourself will yes. determine." Yeah, and that's so important. And I'm I'm get, gathering from what you're doing is you're teaching men to ask better questions of themselves that are going to be productive and serve them. Exactly right. Yeah. And then they, yeah, they right. find their inner self. They find their strengths. I mean, everyone was born connected with amazing abilities, amazing strengths, and it's when we lose the disconnect over time for whatever reasons. But to tap back into that, which everyone can, you've got to ask those questions and it's, you've just got to stay at that stillness and just listen to the answers. They're there. If you have the courage to step in to your truth. And I bet an interesting exercise, Mick, would be if you took the resting heart rate and blood pressure of men that you're working with the day they come to see you, and then let's say over time, whether it's with your work typically for six months or 12 months, but as they're making that transformation, I reckon I'd be pretty right to say their resting heart rate and their blood pressure would have certainly lowered. Oh, yeah, I would totally agree. Would totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 the whole issue around cardiac stuff. I mean, you're probably well aware it's the biggest killer of men in Australia, for example. Yeah. And we just don't understand how important all the things you're doing are so crucial to help men with their psychology, so that they can actually make their engine internally, their body works so much better because you can't drive a car as you know as you would know at seven thousand revs all yeah. the time it's just going to not be good for the engine yeah no you can always sense a person that's aligned heart body and mind oh i think you can feel it alignment of purpose it's just amazing and like you walk into a room or, or even on a live screen like we are today and i can sense it from you that's there's that sense and you can tell whether the person's aligned and you can tell their behaviours and beliefs are aligned to what they're doing and that they're, they're living intentionally and they're living with joy. So it's a and it's a interesting that you say that, and thank you for that. I have noticed with certain people the energy can shift when they come into a room, good and bad, yep. because of what's going on internally. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I think this has been an 
amazing. Look, a wonderful conversation today, Mick, and I'm really excited to get you back on for another chat because I think these are ongoing issues. We don't resolve or solve. These are things that men have had these behaviours since they were children. So I would imagine, you know, they're not going to fix them in five minutes, but if they're committed to the journey and taking care of themselves, I'm absolutely in awe of the work that you're doing to help brothers. I appreciate that, and I there's a lot more work to do, but um, that's my calling. <laughs> Absolutely, and you're speaking your truth. Exactly, yeah. Thank you for having so, me. Thanks again for being on the Saving Brothers podcast. Looking forward to continuing the conversation on another day. In the meantime, brother, stay well, and we certainly thank everybody for listening, and uh, have an awesome evening. Take care of yourselves out there, and thanks, Mick. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Rob. Bye for now, brother. This has been a Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.